Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Glad y'all are here today. Uh, looking forward to our time together. Uh, trusting that all of us are not here by chance, but that God has a purpose for our time together and that uh, God will speak to something to us today together in community around his word that will cause a shift in our souls, right? So uh, Pastor Kurt and I kind of left you with the question of uh, what are the Joabs in your life last week? Those uh, secret sins uh, that we hang on to, that we go to when our backs are up against the wall and we feel like we have no other choice, right? And that we can continue to pursue those Joabs in our life or David at his best moments, right, he did something different. And uh, kind of one of the Psalms that we were really centered in at the very beginning of our study was Psalm 131. And uh, when we are wrestling with our Joabs, trusting, uh, man, thinking that we need to trust in them, this would be a great Psalm to return to again and again. So Psalm 131, as we prepare our hearts uh, to study God's Word together, let's pray. Our hearts, O oh God, are not proud. Our eyes are not haughty. We do not concern ourselves with great matters or things too wonderful for us. But we have calmed and quieted ourselves. We are like weaned children with our mothers. Like weaned children, we are content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Well, let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 3. We'll pick up with the murder and then look at David's response. So 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 26. The little backstory here, there is a civil war, remember, between north and south. The leftover of David changing sides when Saul is dead and David is king. The whole country is not excited about that. And so they, in the north, are looking for another king. And they find a son of Saul. He's kind of a weak puppet, but the general that commands the northern army, a man named Abner, is, something people, is someone that people will rally behind. So they have an initial skirmish. There's only about 400, which is, is a good number of people uh, killed. And Abner gets in trouble with the puppet king, Ishbosheth, and he decides, you know what, this is crazy. I'm just going to make peace with David and roll the dice and see how I do in the new administration. So a peace deal is worked out. Uh, Abner will use his influence to bring the northern tribes into alliance with David. But there's just one catch. In that previous skirmish, the general from the Israelite army had killed the son or the youngest brother of Joab. 
Steve mentioned Joab, a very important character for the rest of David's life. Joab is David's cousin, probably most loyal follower. He is the commander of David's mercenary force. Remember, we have these group of 600 men made up of tribe members of Judah, but also mercenaries, criminals, thugs. They have been trained by the Philistines, traveled with David, and they're a a pit bull. They're useful for David, but they're dangerous. Uh, They've already shown signs that they can and will turn on David if things don't go their way. So in this case, there's bad blood between Joab and Abner. David has made the peace treaty. He has made all sorts of promises for the safety of Abner. And then we pick up in verse 26. Joab then left David and sent messengers to catch up with Abner. They found him at the pool of Sirah and brought him back with them. But David knew nothing about it. When Abner arrived at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak with him privately. And then he drew his dagger and killed Abner in revenge for killing his brother, Ashael. When David heard about it, he declared, I vow by the Lord that I and my people are innocent of this crime. Abner, of this crime against Abner. Joab and his family are the guilty ones. May his family in every generation be cursed with a man who has open sores and leprosy, who walks on crutches, or who dies by the sword, or who begs for food. So David, creating a little psalm there for old Joab, a little motto for the family to live by. Which one of you are you going to be? So Joab and his brother Abishai killed Abner because Abner had killed their brother, Ashael, in the battle of Gibeon. So we'll process that for a minute. David is upset. It's bad when your commander of your army just goes rogue. I, I, in this case, really don't think David had any inclination He didn't tell Joab to do this, but he also didn't tell Joab to mind his manners, to to not do it. So they've got that. And this, as you probably will recognize in Samuel, is always going to have this tug of war. Good David, bad David, which side, which side. It's hard. But David makes a vow before the Lord that he is cursing Joab's family. Now think about that for a minute. What does that mean to curse Joab's family? Who is he also cursing? His own own family. Um, This is uh, kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Uh, This darkness, this diminishing is also in a sense affect him but spiritually the David he wants to be knows that this is wrong this is really really wrong so now's the moment of truth look at verse 31 then David said to Joab and all those who were with him and before we read that ask yourself how does that conversation go down 
What does David need to say? Good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, bad hit man. Only care when I tell you, man. Um, it's one thing when you're the king in waiting and you have Saul, and it's really Saul's fault. Everything's Saul's fault. The guy's crazy, lives with his spears, nuts. The world's messed up because of Saul. Saul's gone. David's in charge. David did a really good job of always remembering Saul was God's anointed. That's a special place. He has a special calling, special power from God. Well, now, the shoe's on the other foot. Who's in charge? David. And David has this anointing. David has seen several times that God is with him and can defeat Goliath, can defeat the Amalekites, can defeat incredible odds. So whose responsibility is it to take care of this situation? David's. And so this is what he says to Joab. Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth. Go into deep mourning for Abner. And King David himself walked behind the procession to the grave. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king and all his people wept at his graveside. And then David's going to write some more music. But So David is taking a spiritual road, which is the part of David we love. That's the David of the Psalms. He's saying, this is wrong. Do you mourn? You know, rip your clothes. A big deal. Most people don't have more than one set of clothes. This is a sign of mourning. So that's, that's good. Spiritually, David is in the right place. But as a king, as a man living responsible, what does he not say? You think you would have given him the death penalty for murder, so why not Yeah. What, what did he do to the Amalekites that brought the bad news? Or maybe he killed Saul. He doesn't say, uh, Joab, you're done. Your family, I get that. I'm going to retire you. You're going to take care of sheep. Give me the sword. You're, you're out. Uh, I've got 600 other guys that would be just. I've got another brother, another cousin uh, that I can put in charge. You're done. Or he doesn't say, Joab, if you ever pull a stunt like this, where you go behind my back and you kill somebody, I will kill you. I mean, let's be honest. David usually doesn't have a lot of uh, restraint <laughs> when it comes to uh, none of that. And so today is the best of David. It's the worst of David. You see, spiritually, internally, he's, he's in a good place. He's merciful. He's, he's remembering his enemy. On the other hand, when it comes to translating that into action, into purpose, he's, he's going to cop out. So. Is he remembering his former enemy, or is he trying to sweep all of this under the rug? Just to maintain peace. <sighs> yes. I mean, there's this real political 
feel to this, and the reason we go through this slowly is this happens again and again and again. Every time David runs up against an enemy, <gasps> Joab kills him. Oh, I'm so sorry. I never asked Joab to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, and David ends up on top. So, yeah, there's this real kind of cynicism I think you can take, but there's also, he, he doesn't want to be this way. He, he spiritually longs for something else. So, my take. Yeah. That help? Yeah. Ponder this. <clears throat> In this moment, David is becoming Saulish. What was Saul's main problem? Saul was anointed, right? That wasn't the problem. And was, was that anointing real and good? Of course it was, from God. The problem becomes is when we start ignoring our anointing. And the, the trajectory of Saul's life can be kind of pinned back to this one statement that Samuel makes towards him. You are small in your own eyes. That you have this from God. You have this anointing. You have this being set apart for the purposes of God. But you don't see it in yourself. You don't have this capacity to seize it and move forward. David is being small in his own eyes. Whether it's a political ploy, Kurt, to try to keep the peace, or, or whatever it might be, he does not have the wherewithal to say, okay, I am God's anointed. And I am going to say or do things to stop this. And it kills him. It literally kills him throughout the rest of his life. Joab becomes a huge, huge problem. And now we could, we could debate what the best course of action could have been, but it should have been something besides not saying anything. Right? And so that just becomes a, a huge, I think, growth part, growth area for us, that there are times in which, you know, in, in some ways we are, we, well, no, not in some ways, we are. Because of our life in God, in Christ, we are all anointed. We are all set apart for God's purposes. When Jesus says for us to follow him, that actually means he believes that we have the capacity to do it. And if we have the capacity to follow Jesus, then there will be things that we will need to say and do throughout the course of our life that will be hard, but we can do them for the sake of the kingdom. It's when we become small in our own eyes that keeps us from engaging in the way that God would have us to engage. Let me jump ahead a little bit to 2 Samuel 19. This is the beginning of the problem with Joab. And 2 Samuel 19 is the climax. What verse, Kurt? Uh, I'm going to begin in verse 5. 2 Samuel 19, verse 5. So now Joab has killed David's son. And the same kind of scenario that we just saw. The son was revolting against David. Oh, what are we, do? What are we going to do? And Joab says, just a minute, I'll take care of it. And he goes and kills David's son. And David is upset. He doesn't, well, he, let me just read it. Verse 5. So Joab is talking to the king after murdering his son. 
Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, We saved your life today and the lives of your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your concubines. And yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed, as though we have done something wrong. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that we mean nothing to you. If Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would have been pleased. Now go out there and congratulate the troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't, not a single one of them will, be, will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than you have ever been. You see the kind of relationship that they have. How little Joab really respects David. And think about that phrase, you seem to love those that hate you. Huh. I, I think David actually does believe some of that. I mean, doesn't that sound like somebody else that we know a little bit in the New Testament? Isn't that what God is desirous for us to learn how to do? There's a great opportunity for David to say, yes, Joab, I actually do believe that. And I'd much rather have had my son back here and we try to work this out than for you just to have killed him. But again, David gets in this pattern where he doesn't say anything. He doesn't make a choice. And not making a choice is a choice. It, it allows the worst option to happen. So let's go back. We're, we're at the beginning here. David puts together a funeral song. And part of me thinks he's, he's being bold here a little bit because he is aggravating his army commander. Verse 33, Then the king sang this funeral song for Abner. Should Abner have died as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not in chains. No, you were murdered, the victim of a wicked plot. So again, he is eulogizing that it should have been better for Abner, and he is antagonizing his cousin. I just wish he had dealt with it. David is demonstrating what is his anointing, his gift. When he wants to, David is an incredible leader. He can motivate people. He can move people. He can bring people to God. We've been reading his writing for thousands of years. You know, the Lord is my shepherd is the anointing of David living on. He, he can do this. All the people wept for Abner. David had refused to eat anything the day of the funeral. And now everyone begged him to eat. But David made a vow saying, May God kill me if I eat anything before sundown. This pleased the people very much. In fact, everything the king did pleased the people. So everyone in Judah and Israel knew that David was not responsible for Abner's death. Success. Yep. Little PR campaign, I think. Um, may not have been responsible for it, but I didn't deal with it. So then the kicker, verse 38. Then David said to the people, Do you not realize that a great leader and a great man has fallen today in Israel? 
And even though I am the anointed king, so I'm the anointed king, I'm the guy in charge, the buck stops with me. Not really, but it's supposed to. I am God's, God's man. These two sons of Zeruiah, so his uh, father's brother, Joab and Abishai, are too strong for me to control. What? What did he just say? Everybody's, yay, yay, David, yay, you're the man, you're the king, you're so spiritual, you're so great. These guys that work for me, they're bad news. My cousins, I may be God's anointed, I may be the man God sent here, I may have all the skills and ability, you may remember Goliath, but don't, don't expect me to control these two. It's not going to happen. What? This is where that pet sin image really, I think, comes back to haunt us. God may have died for me. I may be a Christian. I may pray well, go to church, try to live a Christian life, try to run a Christian business. But don't expect me to not fill in the blank. That's crazy talk. That's copping out. I think it's back to the question you ended the 9 o'clock sermon with. Am I going to live for God or just with God? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just because your name, Kurt, I know you're so brilliant, but... Um, and you learned to spell it, right? Uh, exactly. How, how many times have David gone to God about this? Did you notice that? Hey, God, I, I, I got a pickle here. We're not talking to God. So David's response, these guys, too much for me. I'm sorry. So may the Lord repay these wicked men for their wicked deeds. I put it on God. Give it all to the Lord, baby. Not my responsibility. I'm not really in charge. But just give it to God. Really? Now it's fun, in a sense, to pick on David. But have you been here? I've been here. I've been here too often in the sense of the church. There's something, there's someone really bad uh, going on in the church. And I'm just a pastor. What can I do? Oh, wait a minute. Um, God actually put me here to uh, try to do the best. You know, not that we're, we're kings, but we're responsible for our sheep. I learned this, this the hard way. I was at a church plant early in my ministry in El Paso, and church plants are always very delicate things. You start with a small group, you don't have a lot. And, uh, as Methodists, we have an incredible record. 100% of the church plants that we start die. Uh, you couldn't give us a, a church plant uh, it, legally if CPS was involved because we pretty successfully killed them all. And 
unfortunately, the, the church plant started out great, strong, wonderful, and it died. Well, one of the reasons it died is there was a church member that we had, had just come, and he was in leadership, very involved. He had just a horrendous relationship with his son. His son had defied him and moved off, and it, it was ugly. But for whatever reason, he made the association between the pastor, I was just an intern, but the pastor at this church plant and his son. So he would get in these tirades of just screaming at the pastor in meetings, and it really wasn't about the things that the pastor had done. It was about what his son had done. And everybody sort of realized it, but nobody would deal with it. And it, it just struck me. You know, I was in my 20s, didn't know anything. But one day I told him, you know what, you ought to just get out. This church is not making you happy, just go away. And it's bad when the intern says that, right? You know, talk about the short time guy. I had nothing. What did I know? And everybody's like, Kurt, you can't ever know. I'm like, what is wrong with us? We're going to be held hostage? And a lot of times I think, Kurt, hold on to that. I mean, you were 20 and dumb, and, and, but the church, God's work, should never be held hostage. If we are God's anointed, things are not too big for us. We're responsible. God's not going to say, oh, all right, that's fine. You can't do it. We'll just forget it. It doesn't work that way. So when it comes to battling your sin, people that are just destructive and, and nasty, if you're there, if you're facing it, you have a voice, chances are God actually wants you to do something about it. Not just like David, inside I've got all the right feelings. Inside my prayer life, I know what the answer is. God says, good, that's half of the battle. But do it. Say something. You don't have to kill anybody. You don't have to kill Joab, although that's David's solution, right? On his deathbed. Ooh, boy, I don't want to leave this guy alive. But we can do something. If God has anointed us, we have what we need to deal with it. Questions? <clears throat> So, so basically, David is saying here at the end of this, uh, at the end of chapter three, what, 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 do you, what, what would you say his key complaint is? Where is it rooted? Yeah, that, that, that was what I was trying to try to get at. Yeah, that that there there is just not enough strength right that he is he is looking at himself observing the situation and seeing in himself i am too weak to handle this right so yesterday i was uh kind of plodding around in second corinthians and um there's this great passage um and you almost wonder is paul kind of channeling some of some of this stuff back and forth um but let me just read some verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. So troubles can lead to weakness, right? Hard, weak. 
We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So what is Paul's perspective here relative to these, these hardships and difficulty? It is causing them problems. It's like they are wondering, can we make it? Right? So that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, verse 9, we felt we had received a sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Who raises the dead. Now, I love that. Because I don't think as followers of Jesus, we, we, we grab a hold of our resurrection reality as much as we used to. As much as we should. We are people who are caught up in Jesus and we are resurrection people. Is there any power greater than being able to overcome death? Absolutely not. And if that power is at our disposal because of our relationship with Jesus, we then have the power and the strength to not only endure, but to be proactive in the midst of hard and difficult things. Right? <laughs> he has delivered us from such a deadly... This is verse 10. He has delivered us from such deadly peril... And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, and I think this is really important on Paul's part, he is trying to get the Corinthians to understand that they play a part in this. That it's not all about all us muscling uh, our individual strengths to say, okay, God, we're going to do this again. Nope. We're going to do it all together. Then... As a result of us being rooted in this resurrection power, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Just think about that for a second. Were people thankful in this moment for David? And how he kind of navigated this this, uh, PR campaign with Abner? Sure. Sure. But how much more? How much more would they have been thankful and grateful for David's leadership if he would have dealt with this now? So here's our challenge. We all have Joabs. If you do not defeat the Joab in your life, you leave it to your kids. Of all the things that you leave to your kids... This is not one that should be. We all have our demons. Chances are we've had stuff passed on to us. The Bible speaks of this as as generational sin, and and we know it. I mean, from from alcoholism to bad family behavior to just, the list goes on and on. Part of your calling, your anointing, is to be the Joseph's. To be the child that can stop it. I always say to Lisa when we're, we're fretting, let's let Jason invent his own new sins. You know, it, it sounds bad, but let him have a whole new shuffle of the deck. Let's it, let it end with us, the crap that we've dealt with and that's been passed on. 
So think about that. What monster, Goliath, Joab, can you defeat? And it's going to be hard. It's going to be risky. It's going to be the greatest challenge of moving your spiritual life into your real life that you've probably ever had. But my gosh, your kids will bless your name if you can do it. It doesn't matter if they're old. They still look to you. I was talking to Steve. I had to do a deathbed prayer yesterday on FaceTime, which is one of the the saddest things. We just can't get there in time. But this, this mother, 90 years old, is still teaching her kids, in this case, teaching them how to die. And she doesn't have a list of people that she needs her kids to kill. <laughs> she, she's taking care of what she needs to, and it's, it's a good day. So let that, let that be our future. Let that be our work now so our kids can come up with their own sins. Any questions? Comments? Worries? All right, let's pray. Father God, once again, we are humbled that this is the man that you shone your light on. For chapters, for books, you have said, pay attention to David. See what it is within his heart. For you have said it is in his heart that you see yourself. But it's outside David, O Lord, that we see him wanting. His struggle to take the beautiful, incredible Psalms that remind us of the way the world should be, and then to translate those into daily life. Lord God, we confess we have the same struggle. We can get up early this morning and eat burritos and drink coffee and talk about some weird things, and it, it makes sense, it feels good. And then we're back at work. And then we see the bills. And then the phone rings. And the emails come. And family calls. And problems start. And then we've got to go home and have something left for somebody else. Lord God, we know that you know it's hard. But this is what you made us for. This is why you say to us again this morning, we are your anointed We have the strength. We have you with us. We can do this. You expect us to do this. So help us to be ruthless now with our true enemy, the sin that destroys us and our kids. May we give it no quarter as we learn to treat people differently. Our battle truly is not against business competitors or families or even enemies. Our battle is against the civil war inside of us. Help us today to win that battle so that we can be like you in this world, be the way that it should. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Grace of peace, gentlemen. Have a great week. Good work, man.